This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. The Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. On this week's show, we speak with Golden State Warriors COO and President Rick Welch. But first, let's get to some of the topics. And the big one, I think, well, yes, there are several of them. I shouldn't say just one. But let's talk about Arthur Blank. Well, there's a reason it's number one in your mind. Yes. And hard. Yes. Because, yes. you know, I think the Falcons are cool, but 10, 10%. So we're talking about a valuation of, what, about $330 million for that 10%? Well, it's about right for an NFL team. You know, $3 billion for NFL sounds about right, especially that team and, and the got operating team, rights to the stadium yeah, and, it's and not a soccer just team. The, it's not just yeah. the Falcons. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's built quite quite a thing there. And interesting to me, one of the purchasers is Alan Kestenbaum, mm-hmm. who was in the running, finished second, I believe, for the Carolina Panthers to David Tepper. So oftentimes, as you know, uh, folks will take a minority stake in a team as a training ground to say, all right, is this really something I'd like to do? Let me learn more about the business. So uh, look, looking down the road, whether it be the Falcons or some other franchise, I would guess that uh, Alan Kestenbaum has some designs on being the majority owner. Also funny that you know a couple of days ago on this exact podcast, we were talking about you know LP discounts, how you know oftentimes you yeah. see the limited partner sale, maybe not the devaluation not as high as it would be if the full team was sold. You know, Arthur Blank said publicly, you know, there is no, no discount. There, there is no minority no owner discount on this one. Um, also, in, in the limited partners, in, including Alan Kestenbaum, other people who bought in, Doug Hertz and Ron Kanakaris, who were already invested, and then work done. You know, a name that Falcons fans certainly know. Uh, he's another one of the, the, the minority partners. I still think of him as Florida State. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't know work Tampa done Bay, as, people would think. Yeah, maybe but, Tampa. I still think Florida State when I think work done. Hmm. I don't know. Charlie Ward was the quarterback during work done day? I don't know. That, I, can't, I don't know why that maybe? sticks in my head. I, I, anyway. Anyhow. Do you even know Charlie Ward? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know he played basketball. Okay. And won a Heisman Trophy. That's all I know. Yeah, I, well, that's, that's pretty much what you need to know. <laughs> this next story is Eben's story, and it involves U.S. Senator Chris Murphy. He's had enough after he saw Zion Williamson's shoe blow up. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every every time we talk on the podcast, we're talking about another reason why the NCAA's business model, you know, this, this you know, amateurism model uh, is is being challenged. And the latest is uh, Chris Murphy, senator from from Connecticut, who has published the first of what will be a handful of papers this year, kind of outlining all the ways in which, you know, everyone within the college sports ecosystem is making money, often millions or billions of dollars, except for the players themselves. Um, and I talked to him earlier this week, uh, and he essentially said, look, I've been covering this for a while. I've been I've been watching college sports get commercialized um but when zion williamson got hurt you know and a billion dollars came off of nike's stock price and you know he ran the risk of potentially if it was catastrophic never playing in the nba never realizing that the money that he probably should have been earning as a college student you know that was the final straw for him so you know finally got there finally got there Uh, (laughs) i just i made fun of him this morning. i was like oh so that was the final straw he finally got there like we didn't know all of this ahead of time took a took a shoe to do that yeah they had to see zion williamson blow through his shoe there is so much right now from 
from, you know, scandals to legal challenges to other, you know, congressmen who are proposing other legislation. There's so much going on right now. Can we give Steve Berkowitz a shout out, by the way? Because you and yeah. I were talking about this. It's Steve Berkowitz at USA Today. Like, anytime a game ends in the NCAA tournament, he'll tell you what the coach just got or, 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 you know, the bonus for winning or for winning a game or for whatever. So good job, Steve Berkowitz. He's like, I think he's the man in this genre. Yeah, keep it up because I just laugh every time. And finally, guess what started? Oh, I know what that is. Great sound. I don't think they play that in Japan when, when they open, but <laughs> what we'll consider to be opening day. Just a bit outside. Yeah, the sun is shining, at yes. least here in New York. This is the way it's supposed to be. Oh, my goodness. The real pitchers and catchers get you in a good mood, but this is the real, all right, it must be spring. Mm-hmm. See, what I love about this is that for I love fantasy baseball because out of all the fantasy sports, that's the most challenging, and that's where you really got to use your mind and pay attention to what you got to do. Yeah, well, if you say so. I mean, you so f- rarely use the mind and pay attention to what you yeah, got to do. <laughs> if that's what it, if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes, so, some high profile names in in new places. He always gets back to business. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rein these God. guys in. On the, on, the, on the business of sports show, how, how dare I? How dare I get back to business? We were going to get to Bryce Harper. I know where you're going. Okay, then then get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Number one jersey seller, Bryce Harper. Big star, change teams. Yeah. Wait, I have. Hold on, I took a picture of the uh, of the top sellers on my phone. Okay. I don't have. I don't have it uh, by heart here. I but would imagine t- Mr. Aaron Judge is, is up there. Well, again. he he he. Yeah, he he uh, pushed Aaron Judge aside. Yeah. So it's Harper, Judge. You want to guess three, four, five? And Machado gotta be there. No, no? Machado. No Machado. He's not even. He's like. Oh, he's number twelve. Wow. About Nolan. Probably Nolan don't buy shirts in in, in uh, San Diego. It's too hot. Just yeah, tank tops. <laughs> Nolan Arenado. Nah, no, no. That's that's your guess, really. No, we're going Betts, Trout, Yadi Molina. Score one for the catcher, Yadi Molina. See, that's cool. Now let's get into our interview. One of the most respected business executives in the NBA with over 40 years of experience in the league. Oh, just say Hall of Famer, boy. Hall of Fame. He's wearing the ring. As big as a manhole it's like a, Yes, it looks like a championship ring, but which they have, but it's the Hall of Fame ring. Nice. Nothing like what I'm wearing. <laughs> uh, Rick Welch is currently in his fifth season as president and chief operating officer of the Golden State Warriors. In his role, he oversees all business-related operations for the Warriors, including the team's proposed development of a privately financed sports and entertainment center in San Francisco. Proposed? It's a reality. Bay. It's well, a reality. It's happening. Well, it's not built yet. Yes, not it completely is. completely built. Well, we're getting, I mean, we're opening in September. Better be ready. But I like it. Metallica and the San Francisco Symphony opening. They got to bring That's going to be some cool stuff. They got to bring in soda machines. Uh, <laughs> San Francisco's Mission Bay uh, reporting to the organization's co-managing partners, Joe Lacob and Peter Gruber. Mr. Rick, thank you very much for joining us in studio. Thrilled to be here, guys. This is actually my first time being in the Bloomberg building. And you're impressed. I'm incredibly impressed. Yeah, we walked you through the maze, but we got here down to the studio. Can you do me a favor, though? The light is right above you, and I know this is radio, not TV, but the glare off your ring, it's like uh, one of those superhero things. How many diamonds in that ring that are hitting me in the in the face? I don't know. I don't know. This actually is not one of the Warriors championship rings. This oh, which is one's the that? Uh, Hall of Fame ring. Oh, I was going to say that we have to. Uh, <laughs> oh, is it wow. in your contract that 
the qualifier Hall of Famer. That's right. Please, please, please. No, it, it was. Uh, this is the one I wear because one, it's size appropriate. The championship rings. Uh, I, I list about three inches to the right if I wear those. <laughs> uh, so this one, you know, the, the championship ring is the one that everybody in sports dreams of. This is the one I never could have dreamed of. So uh, that's the one I wear. Now, you're here talking about the new arena, the Chase Center in San Fran. And I got to say, the last time we spoke about it, you were saying it's never been done before because it's so darn hard. I don't really understand all the kvetching. I mean, here we are in New York. We got more arenas than we know what to do with. So, I mean, is this just you complaining, or was it really all that hard? Uh, I complain a lot, but I do think it was that hard. You know, there's a reason that San Francisco, in its history, has never had a world-class sports and entertainment arena. And uh, doing big projects in San Francisco, big complicated projects, is really complicated. And now that we can see the finish line, uh, it feels a lot better, but there there were days that were pretty dark in the in the process. What was the darkest? At what point? I'm curious. Would you say, man, this might not have been worth it? Well, we, if you'll remember the history, seven years ago we uh, announced we were moving to San Francisco, but we were going to build an arena on Piers 3032 over the water in San Francisco Bay, and we got caught up in. Uh, a real political back backlash, not on our project as much as other waterfront development. Uh, there was a big condominium project on the Embarcadero that was being proposed. We were about ready to go to the ballot, and uh, out of the sky fell uh, Mark Benioff and ten and a half acres of land he owned in the Mission Bay neighborhood of San Francisco. And Mark just said, "Look, if you guys want to buy this land for a tidy profit." Uh, I think it'll solve all your problems in terms of the waterfront development. So we did that. But at that point, we encountered even more uh, opposition from a lot of donors to UCSF, which is the big uh, uh, institution literally across the street from us, big research uh, organization. And, And we really had some moments where we didn't know if we were going to survive the lawsuits that that came thereafter. But we did. We're going to open in September. How different has this process been, given that the team is performing so well? You know, obviously, seven years ago, who would have thought that that you guys would have a run like this? Is Is it easier or is it harder? being the best team in the NBA and going through this process at the same time? Come on. I, I wrote this business plan when I took the job, right? We're going to go to the finals uh, four consecutive years, <laughs> win three championships. And still they hired you. Build a, yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a perfect storm, right? It's every possible success factor intersecting at the same time. Uh, that's where luck comes in, right? And we were, we've were we been incredibly lucky, but we needed to be because from a financial perspective, the real difference between this project and every other project is that this is 100% privately financed. There's not a dollar of taxpayer money that uh, is going to build this project, and that hasn't been done in decades. Was that largesse or a realization that it just simply wouldn't fly? It was never going to happen. I have to ask, it, does it ever get old? It, you guys win everything. Even Cleveland is like, okay, we're done. We'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> Does it get old? No. There's not a day that you come into work and say, I wish it wasn't this good. Uh, and seriously, we we talk a lot. You know, we, there's criticism out there like, are the Warriors really good for the NBA with all this winning? And, you know, does it make the game boring? And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've never looked back and said, God, I wish those Magic Johnson Showtime Lakers had ended sooner. Or I wish that Michael Jordan hadn't played for so long. Or I wish that Larry Bird had hadn't been so good for so long. I don't. Our sport, I think, uh, uh, at least as much as any other, is defined by its 
dynasties and and by those teams that have been able to have you know championship success over a long period of time that's that's really how new fans come to the game that's how over time uh, the history of the game is written and, and we just happen to be that team right now and I hope it lasts for a long time we're speaking with Rick Welts, the president and COO of the Golden State Warriors. And Rick, I want to get into uh, a little bit of jargon real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, contractually obligated uh, income. <laughs> Looking at the new stadium, the new revenue streams that you have, be it VIP experiences, ticket sales, uh, sponsorships, where do you guys stand uh, right now? Uh, in a really good place. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll, be, we'll be opening the building with something like... $2 billion in contractually obligated income, which uh, I think for an arena or stadium, at least up to this point, uh, will, be a, will be a record. The, maybe what the Rams are doing in Inglewood may, uh, may take a shot at that. But again, perfect storm, um, perfect market, perfect time. I mean, the Bay Area is on fire. Uh, there couldn't be a better economic time, couldn't be a better basketball team, and couldn't be a better city to be building an arena. What were the original projections? <laughs> Uh, less is that, than, is that less true, the same? Yeah. true? Less than half that. I mean, okay. no, no, no. To my knowledge, I think the record, prior record, was a little under a billion dollars in terms of uh, you know what what was in the bank before the uh, before the project started. And if there's a rough way to break that out by you know sponsors, by you know VIP suites, by season ticket sales, kind of what does that pie look like? Yeah, it's it's really divided about half and half between. Uh, Tickets and uh, suites and sponsorship. The corporate sponsorship side has really uh, this has found a, a real sweet spot with what's going on in our industry right now and the companies that are looking to invest in sports. And that's Chase, obviously, but also United, uh, Accenture, right? There's a few others. Yeah, Google Cloud was a really big one for us. No one had, uh, no team had successfully made a deal with Google prior to this one. We hope it's really kind of crazy, right? We're in the Silicon Valley. All these companies, if you really think about their sports associations, they haven't done it. Uh, historically, so we're really hoping that Google Cloud uh, partnership grows into something special. And, and they're more, and they're more to come, and and uh, they represent, I think, what you hope it would represent—the best in brands and all the way, all the way through. You mentioned the Rams. We had Kevin Demoff on the show not long ago, and the fact is, you still exist in this geopolitical world. And the price of construction, steel in particular, for that stadium went up because of the global situation. How are you on time on budget? Time, I think we know. Yeah. How about Great budget? news. We're on time. <laughs> <laughs> Which you don't always know. You don't always know. There's no other good news. Uh, uh, you know, we actually had an owner's committee. This is great about the NBA. You'll love this about the NBA, right? So there's an owner's committee that has to make a report on relocation. So uh, Jeannie Buss and Robert Sarver were on our site. The Lakers uh, and the Suns. Lakers and the Suns owners were on site last week representing the owners committee that now will make a recommendation that next month in April at the Board of Governors meeting, the owners will decide whether or not we can move into that new Wow, a no vote arena. would be something else. Really would be a problem. <laughs> really would be a problem. Okay? But I was, Sarver builds, uh, builds a lot of banks, builds a lot of real estate, other types of real estate. And he's, he was saying, really, his model right now is building on either coast 20 to 40% over budget every single project just because... The cost of labor, the the robust building that's going on, certainly in San Francisco, chasing resources is incredibly difficult, trying to just find the construction resources you need when there's a crane on every corner. So um, it's not for the faint of heart. Fortunately, the team's helped us a lot. Uh, but And we're going to get to the finish line in a privately financed arena. So when Joe Lacob says, all right, 
get my final tally and he looks at it. He says, this cost, you said it was going to cost X and it wound up costing what? Uh, X plus probably 30%. Um, and then we say, Joe, just go back and look at those championship rings in your office and you'll feel much better about the whole thing. I have to ask, uh, and I think about the, and I've always said this, uh, we've had a number of people on the show, out of the four major food groups for sports, the NBA is the perfect one in my mind because of the uh, duration of the game, uh, it's a fast-paced game. I mean, it's like the old gag with uh, George Carlin about baseball. You don't know when it's going to end, and and the other ones as well. But the NBA seems to be the one that's geared toward the younger audience today. Can you comment more about that? Well, I, I mean, you have to go way, way back to, to start to think about how we develop, right? And and one, our, our success came much later than baseball success or football success. And I think that has been a contributing factor in a lot of ways, where the organization, as it evolved, kind of reflected a different generation than had been reflected in other sports organizations. And David Stern had a mindset about that, that he wanted to continue to look forward. And I just think the league has done an amazing job. If you look at any social media metric, it, it's just startling, uh, frankly, what what the difference in consumption is of social media across uh, the various sports. Some of that is just the nature of the game, I think, as you said. I think our players become cultural personalities in a, in a bigger way, the way our sport's covered on television, and because of what the players have done themselves on their own. Uh, but the league, too, has also made a real push in trying a lot of new things as different, you know, social media have come along. I think the NBA has been tremendous in being willing to experiment and being willing to see what could work and what might not work and learning from that and going on from there. So I, I think it's it's very thoughtful and it's very much a part of what we're trying to be. Along those lines, in 2011, you joined a team that was worth in- by estimates, three hundred and sixty million dollars. Flash forward eight years, you know it's three point four billion. If you if you believe the Forbes numbers, um, h- how much of that do you kind of attribute to NBA writ large becoming a bigger part of the kind of the social fabric of, of the U.S. and how much of that is the Golden State Warriors specifically going on this kind of incredible dynastic run? You know, I, I think every owner of every professional sport should get up every morning and write Steve Ballmer a note and say thank you because <laughs> seriously the valuation of every team in professional sports changed the day he paid two billion dollars uh, for the Clippers and w- everyone thought it was a one-off everyone thought that was not a sustainable uh, type and of course we've had two teams now trade since then at higher valuations than that so I guess it's really for real and the really for real part of it as you do your analysis which I'm sure you do in, in figuring out the value of teams it has nothing to do really with the business. It has to do with having uh, 30 teams and more people than that or more organizations than that who are interested in buying one. And that's what drives the price. It's just what somebody's willing to pay. But because Balmer was scarcity, as you just said, and beachfront property, literally and figuratively, I was more surprised the Milwaukee Bucks at five and a half than Balmer plunking down $2 billion for the Clippers. Was that an indicator to you that we've reach something new here? I think, that's a, I think that's a great point, because it does. It says that it isn't just about the biggest markets, uh, it's about the strength of the league and every franchise. And I think, I think that's the best one to point to in terms of the overall value of NBA teams right now. Well, something has to be baked in the cake for the value to be that high. What, what is it? Is it media rights? What is it? 
Well, I think you look at, across sports and say, over the next 30 years, you know, who has the best opportunity to build their business, right? And you start with the international appeal of the game, right? There are only two sports in the world that are played in everywhere in the world, so, what we call soccer, what the rest of the world calls football, and basketball. Now, you know, soccer's up here, basketball's well below, but there's nothing in between. And think I always talk about the difference between the soccer and the basketball models, too, which I think is really significant uh, as we look to the future, and that's that every kid growing up in Buenos Aires wants to uh, – uh, play for his club team in soccer, maybe someday get to play in the World Cup. When Manu Ginobili is growing up in Buenos Aires, he only wants to play one place in the world. And every kid like Manu only wants to play one place in the world. That's the NBA. There's no different organization for competition that anybody would rather be to. So we, we can draw from worldwide talent base. And then when Manu comes to the San Antonio Spurs, uh, the value of the media properties associated with the NBA in Buenos Aires increases, right? We have a great, we have a thousand new episodes of our game every year. Um, we have no additional cost of distribution virtually by taking that game out of the United States and putting it anywhere in the world where a basketball fan wants to watch. So I think long term, the NBA's opportunity internationally compared to football or baseball is extraordinary. And I think some of the other things you cited, I think the length of the game is perfect. Um, and I think that, that, you know, the people managing this, starting with Adam Silver, uh, have a view of a 30-year horizon, right? They're, we're looking way out and trying to see, you know, what will put us in a position to continue to grow the game the way it has grown now. But uh, this, is, this is a rare time, and I think it's the whole league. I think it's the Warriors have contributed to it, but uh, I hate to say this, but after the Warriors, there'll be somebody else. One day the NBA will be the WBA as the World Basketball Association. Well, we just announced starting a league in Africa uh, at All-Star, which is, you know, I think caught a lot of people by surprise and have, uh, it really makes a statement about where uh, Adam and the league see the, this all going. We're chatting with Rick Welts, the president of the Golden State Warriors, and I say it on this show all the time, Rick, it's about scale. It's finite number of seats, even if you have the most beautiful arena in the world, which you say you will, it's still a finite number of seats and a finite number of dates. But with media, you can scale. You can microtransactions all over, whether on games. You have the ability to send whatever it is you want anywhere in the world. How do the Warriors capitalize on the new ability of technology to scale? Uh, you know, we are in the process as a league of reevaluating how we've thought about teams and territories and what leagues can do. Um, in about half an hour, there's a team president's call where we're going to go through some of this, uh, where we're going to actually talk about. Uh, the league's been thinking about are there ways that they can unleash the creativity of the 30 teams in addition to the central office and, and as a result get great, better, more compelling content that then maybe the teams can have more opportunity to distribute because all of this is talking about non-game programming. We're not, you know, we're not talking about actual live distribution of the games by the teams, but we're talking about all the shoulder programming that we we could create to feed the appetite for interest in the NBA and the team's getting more of an opportunity to create and distribute that. So I think that's going to be that's going to be a really big change in the way we do business in the NBA. What people might not know about the NBA and you have of course had been at the league office is the department called Teambo, Team of Business Operations. People might not know that you literally have access to all the data, all the financial data from around the league. I'm not so sure that the basketball operations folks would trust anybody to warehouse the, the data, but the teams, at least from a business perspective in the NBA, 
act in concert, act in unison in a best practices sort of way. You, uh, I think you're on to the most important difference between the NBA and the way other businesses run. Frankly, it's it's very different than the way the other leagues run. So you're right. I have I can I can go in the morning and look at my computer and see every dollar that name the team. The New York Knicks have sold in terms of tickets, in terms of suites, in terms of sponsorships. I know everything about their business. And it's it's compelling because I get ranked 1 to 30 on every business category. So, you know, the ownership of the team sees that. There's complete visibility between David the teams. David Stern used to know by heart, you're number four in this, number three in that, and you better know where you rank as well. And he still call. He's not commissioner anymore, as last I could tell. But he still calls me to yell at me when he doesn't. Think me too. Doing well. Yeah, yeah. So he that's old too. habits die hard. Uh, but think about that. You're right. Uh, we probably lie, cheat, and steal on the basketball side, not to give uh, any, you know, a credit or ideas to any other team. On the business side, we believe we're 30 partners who. If we all do well, we all do better, and and so the you know there isn't a day that goes by that I don't talk to one of my counterparts at another team and say, hey, we're trying to figure this out. You guys have had the same issue, and that there isn't a willing answer on the other end of the phone. Adam Silver once told me, specifically when there's new buildings coming on, that he wanted to get to a world where the league group ordered toilet paper <laughs> because you could reduce the unit cost. Do you really drill down to that level that if all the arenas could group order, the unit cost goes down? I think it's more at this point. Maybe that's, you know, Adam is a visionary. So I hadn't focused on the toilet paper issue, I will admit. Um, <laughs> but I, I do know that we do compare notes on every aspect of our business and what's coming, what's next. When we try one thing at one team, it populates the league immediately if it works. Uh, so it's, you know, that, you, but, but this whole team business, and mar, uh, team marketing and business operations department is really the secret sauce as far as I'm concerned in terms of why the NBA has been so successful in, in building team businesses. One of those trials you're talking about, the uh, the, the, the one month pass for, uh, for, for fans who don't get a seat specifically, but get to be in the building any game they want? Oh my God, did that get so much more attention than it deserved. <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of a little idea at a staff meeting one day, and we did uh, have a pass where you wouldn't have a seat, but you have an opportunity to be around and in the building and, and enjoy the atmosphere of a Warriors game. Uh, we're talking about something like 100 people per game, so it really wasn't a very uh, big initiative. But yeah, it's the kind of thinking that, like, how do we, what are we going to do next? What are we, what's going to be the best thing? Where's the consumer going? I, like, the thing that would drive me the, craziest about uh, business people in any any industry, but certainly in the NBA, is when they would think that we could just will consumer behavior, right? That's where technology intersects with our sport. It's like, you know, we may not want people to be able to buy tickets in the secondary market while we have season tickets, but you know what? If we don't do it, somebody like StubHub's going to invent this, and Maybe we'd be better off to figure out how to embrace it in our core business than we would be pretending that we can fight consumer behavior and how they're going to act when presented with a new technology. See, I thought the toilet paper thing was a charming idea. I see what I did there. I see what you did there. be like that. If you got to explain the joke, it's not. it's not. I would like to ask one thing, though, about the team, because you guys obviously are heading towards the playoffs. Does it make a difference, you know, this year with the Los Angeles Lakers? Unfortunately, they 
Uh, LeBron James is not going to be in this year. But he will uh, open uh, the Chase Center. But, yeah. yeah <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, Give me some game. secondary prices on yeah, that Yeah, I mean, does, does that make a difference when you when you don't have a big name like that in the playoffs? I'm just saying that in general, uh, maybe for the TV audience or whatever. We'll see. Right, yeah. we don't know, we don't know the answer to that question. Yes, would be the first time in five years that LeBron hasn't been the headliner of the playoffs. So uh, I I would guess yes, there's going to be some you know some effect somewhere. But that's how new teams come into the fold. We may be talking about the Milwaukee Bucks the way we're talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers right now, two or three years down the road, and they might be the ones that are driving TV revenue. So it, it it's you know it's a constant evolution of which team is the one that has the spotlight right now and and LeBron's team didn't have his biggest spotlight this year but LeBron still brought a lot of people to to the TV sets based on you know just the, his presence in the Lakers speaking of headliners and I'd really love you not to just talk around this one if possible like I have the other ones no is that no, what no you're saying? but I know okay. how people right. I know how okay. people like you operate <laughs> if possible <laughs> I've done this too long we've known each other we've too known long. each other too long yeah yeah. In an uncapped world, what is Steph worth to the Golden State Warriors? He's worth everything. You know, he he's the heart, soul, uh, identity of our franchise. Um, you know, there was a Steph Curry before this ownership group that represented, uh, you know, the futility of the basketball uh, product that the Warriors consistently put on the court, uh, and it translates into this new era of of championship competition that he's been the face. He's he's the one our our oldest fans associate with because he was there before all this started, and he's the one all of our new fans associate with because he's the face of those Can championships. Two exit, three exit, four exit. We know what he gets paid because that's all public, but what X is he really worth? I, I can't, you know, I'm not talking around it because I, 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 we've never had a system like that to, to know what that would yield. But he, it's hard to imagine anybody, there is no one who combines the uh, athletic talent, the personal uh, way he presents himself, how he conducts his life, what's important to him, and what he means to generations of basketball fans, from little kids to grandmas, right? Um it would it would be what whatever the biggest X is that he he would be the biggest X. And lastly, for you, the composition of your ownership group. Could another group have done this arena all in house, or they've had to farm out finance, farm out real estate? So much these days of these ownership groups, you take on LPs because they have money. But I'm hearing more and more, it's about what else do they bring to the table? They have to bring some other skill set, some other connection, because the money is just there for everybody. Yeah, I, I think another team certainly could have done it from a financial perspective, but uh, again, you, you really have to understand the San Fr- what San Francisco is like and how hard it is to get this done. It, really, the, the lack of, well, fearlessness is what I would say is the biggest contributing factor that this ownership group has, that there there were a hundred times when they could have changed their mind and said, you know, we can go do something somewhere else. It'll be a lot easier than this. And every time it came back to, no, this is, we're going for it. We're going for the most amazing thing we can imagine, and we're going to do everything possible to make that happen. So I don't think it, that's what's missing, I think, in most ownership groups, that fearlessness to, to go for something that seems impossible or bigger than you can imagine. All right. Very good. Thank you, Rick Welts. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Takeaways, Rick Waltz. My goodness, this man! It, it's it must be easy when you have a team that wins all the time. And I, I just wonder, uh, you know, what would happen to that business model if you had a team? Uh, let's say that uh, they were uh, sorry, 
Yeah, it's certainly hard at winning Cures or Ills. We know that. My takeaway, though, is the team bow operation at, at the NBA. Scott O'Neill, who's been on the show, he was a part of it. Amy Brooks now runs it. Um, the way they share best practices do not discount it as one of the reasons the NBA works as well as it does. My takeaway, uh, that $2 billion number, right? The, the the stadium hasn't even opened yet. And if you count the VIP sales, suites, commitments from from corporate partners, they already have $2 billion uh, of, of revenue coming in. The Double sal- the estimate. The, the salary cap in the NBA right now is right around $100 million. The Warriors are spending over that. They're at $145 million right here, right now. That $2 billion is, is 13, more than 13 years of salaries if they stay where they are right now. Um, just a really impressive number and gives you a sense of, of how set they are, how they've capitalized on this winning this winning spree uh, to set themselves up for the future. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. So easy. 87. Well, you and I suggested it now. Evan, do you remember why it was I do remember, yeah. Okay. This is uh, Rob Gronkowski's uh, jersey number, right? Yes. He announced his retirement this week. This we is have- not going to be the same. The Patriots won't be the same without Gronk. But I'll tell you what, though, after nine seasons, the body took a lot of punishment. But, but just think about the social media fun we're going to have with a Gronk 2.0 that doesn't have to worry and spend so much time training Gronk and practicing. Unleashed. Gronk, yeah, Gronk <laughs> goes wild. That That's some social media channel I may follow. One thing I've always loved about Gronkowski, when we've talked to former athletes on the show, you know, about the way they manage their money, you know, I don't think he's touched, if I, I might be he's, wrong about no, this. He says he, he's, he's lived never, off his endorsement. Yeah, he's income. never yeah. touched right. a dime of what he made from the Patriots itself. It's always been the endorsement, endorsement money. Uh, that's going to set him up real nicely financially for, for the rest of his life. You have been listening to Bloomberg business of sports we are here each and every week for you at the same time plus online as an apple podcast you can catch that mondays wednesdays and thursdays i'm michael barr on twitter now at like about 380 followers at oh, big bar sports nice i'm evan novi williams at novi underscore williams the underscore is costing him followers i'm scott soshnick you can follow me on twitter at soshnick thank you very much for joining us please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry you're listening to bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio around the world